To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have back on my good buddy, Dylan Ness. Dylan Ness kills it on the podcast. Uh, I use him on Flycast a bunch, and then he's been on this podcast a couple of times. But just this salt of the earth, next level, uh, do-it-yourself, public land, consistently successful bow hunter. Uh, so I always really enjoy the conversations, and today we do a deep dive on spot and stalking. Uh, we talk a lot about antelope. Dylan's an absolute antelope slayer. Uh, and then we branch off and talk about mule deer and then also talk quite a bit about elk. Uh, it, it's wild. You know, me and Dylan just started hunting together a couple years ago, uh, but we have nearly the same style for this spot and stock elk hunting. So uh, just made for a great conversation, got me fired up. So I know you guys will enjoy it too. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Uh, Zamberlin builds the highest quality boots I've ever worn. Uh, the waterproofing on them, it keeps good years after you buy them, not just a couple weeks or a month. Um, so so they they don't uh, cut any corners as far, far as craftsmanship, as far as quality of materials. They build the absolute best boots they can. Uh, so I've been loving these 320 Trailite Evo GTX. They're like a low-height boot. They just kill it in the mountains. And then this year they came out with some new hiking shoes. Um, I feel like these things were made for me. They're lightweight, which a pound on the foot is like 10 on the back. And so that lightweight really helps to, to save that leg fatigue throughout the day. And think about it. Like one of these big hunts, you may do 40,000 steps in a day. If you're saving a pound off each one of your shoes, that's 40,000 less pounds you have to lift that day. Uh, so these lightweight shoes are, are just absolute killers. Um, so I'm using the 215 Saluth GTX RRs. Uh, they come in at under two pounds, which is wild. And those boots I like to use, uh, they give you a little bit more stability, like side hilling, uh, uh, real gnarly terrain. Uh, but those things come in at under three pounds. Uh, so they're just doing some wild things with, with boots and shoes and, and really high quality. So if you're in the market for some new boots, make sure to check these things out. I am absolutely in love with these things. So uh, thanks to Zamberlin for their support of the podcast. I also want to thank Matthews. Uh, Matthews are building the best bows out there. Uh, I know I use that phrase a lot, uh, but I really mean it. I feel like I'm partnered with the best companies that are producing the best products. And these Matthews bows, man, you'd get a, you'd have a hard time getting me to switch. Uh, I'm in love with the last three years. The Vertex, the VXR, the V3. Like These bows are just shooters. And again, I know these companies aren't designing equipment for me. But it sure feels like it's designed specifically for me. This V3, it's the quietest bow I've ever shot. Uh, it's It's got uh, no shock after the shot. It's super smooth, great draw cycle. The thing holds uh, and just really forgiving. Um, also, these bows, they hold a tune really well. I put a tune at these in the beginning of the season, and I'll check them after six months of hunting, you know, early hot seasons all the way to... To, to rain, to to cold below zero seasons, and I check my tune after season, and the thing's a perfect bullet hole. 
Uh, so they're just absolute shooters. Uh, this V3 has already done really well for me. Like I killed a mule deer down in the desert in January with it. Uh, killed one of my best black bears this spring. Uh, killed a handful of Axis over there in Hawaii, including my best Axis buck. So this thing is already produced for me, and I can't wait to see what I can do with it this season. So uh, if you're in the market for a new bow, uh, make sure to shoot one of those Matthews and, and see if it fits you and see if you like it, because uh, I, I really believe they're the best bows on the market. And thanks to those guys for their support. Uh, I also just wrote an article for Matthews that's going to be on their website uh, that's that's all about hunting elk and kind of that style that I like to chase them in, uh, especially those high-pressure elk. Uh, so you can check that out on their website as well. And uh, thanks for that opportunity to, to get to write that. Um, so with that, oh yeah, we got uh, uh, thanks again to Eastman's that supports everything I do. Um, they've, they've got, uh, uh, I'm set up for a really good season this year. I'm going to have a cameraman with me uh, most of these hunts and try to capture these things. And I've got uh, a good cameraman that I, I just can't wait to partner up with. So uh, I actually leave today, which is um, Sunday the 8th. So tonight uh, I'm going to take off and and uh, got an early season high country mule deer hunt, which I absolutely love. These high country muleys, uh, it's game time for me. So uh, I'm going to be packing up the truck and getting out of here shortly and uh, starting my season off. So super pumped. But yeah, thanks to Eastman's, everything they do. Make sure to check out our internet research tool, uh, Tag Hub. Uh, if you want a subscription to the magazines, use the promo code ELEVATED321. That'll get you $50, both magazines and an Outdoor Edge knife for $30, uh, one magazine and an Outdoor Edge knife. Uh, so we've got that promo code on there. Uh, also giving away that quiet cat bike. I'm not sure if they've given it away already, but that is through tag hub and, um, yeah. And check out the videos. Um, we're going to be releasing more of my videos. I've got a new one coming up. I'm super excited about, but Dan Bacar kills it on there as well. Just does some really good elk hunts. And, uh, uh, so you can find that on Eastman's hunting TV on YouTube or on the outdoor channel. And, uh, I think I've got it all covered. I'm going to get this out to you guys. It's a great episode, man. This one got me fired up. Uh, talking with my good buddy Dylan all about spot and stalking. And um, we just really get into the the hows and the whys and uh, the ins and outs, uh, how we're moving on these animals and what we're doing to be consistently successful. So I really enjoyed it. I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. Uh, let's get into this thing. So Dylan Ness, he's a guest today. Brian Barney, I'm your host. Uh, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. going on yo what's happening a lot just uh gosh i always hit that button on skype that tries to turn on the camera <laughs> oh man um yeah that's that's fine like it's nice to have the camera for like visual cues but it just like it it puts such a lag in the audio so i don't use it very often no and i always it always says speaker off and i always click it but then it's i forget it's the camera but i think i'd figure it out by now <laughs> no, no what's new oh man just trying to wrap up this house we've just been working nonstop, trying to get one of these things checked off my list right on yeah shoot it uh it's go time for you oh man go time few days away <laughs> oh so sick oh dude doesn't oh, get jealous. any better 
No, that's so sweet. The weather's been looking like it's pretty been pretty nice down there too. Oh, does it? I haven't even looked at the weather yet. I haven't. Um, oh, I, I need dude. to start getting ready, but it's been cold down there, huh? It's been yeah, it's been pretty mild. Yeah, and not it's, cold, it's, but there's cooler. Been some rain. It cooler. Yeah, and yeah. there's been some rain. Like, oh yeah, my brother's all jacked and ready too, and I'm like, so I was thinking, gosh, you lucky dog so sweet i'm so yeah i'm excited for you guys it'd be so sick yeah it's so nice to get those early hunts in and um like like you had an early hunt last year it's pretty fun to get started in in early august or august 10th isn't it it is yeah gosh and when they're just full velvet out all, it seems like they're out all day you know it's like yeah that's tough to beat man golly i've been I've been scouring the uh, first come first serve. I've, I've probably logged into my account 150 times in the past week, and all it pops up is antelope, antelope, antelope. I'm like, oh, just give me a mule deer tag, please. God, but, uh, Tony uh, Treach sent me a message this morning. He got a good one out of there. What? <laughs> I knew dude, they'd just I, kill you, <laughs> dude. I am not kidding you. I've checked it. I've checked it for probably ten minutes on the hour every hour for the past week. Then that's no lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no huh. lie. And I haven't seen, I haven't seen one mule deer tag pop up. Yeah, uh, I mean every antelope tag, every archery antelope tag under the sun, bunch of elk b, and yeah, yeah, I. Yeah, I was. I mean, like I like I told you the other night, I was like, I'm just gonna buy the first mule deer tag that pops up, and I'm just gonna go for it. But I didn't even get a chance to do that. Yeah. Huh. Well, it but. still might be one that comes available. I'm not sure if Tony just got his last night or if he was on there for like the opener or whatever, because that wasn't available a handful of days ago, right? No. Yeah. And so I checked it last Friday, and it wasn't up. Like when you and I talked, it wasn't up. And then I checked it Monday morning right away. Boom. And there's a ton of antelope and elk. Um, and then, yeah, I just kept checking, just kept checking. And then it's like when you sent me that one that that other guy had, got, and I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess, I mean, still got a couple days, so I'm not uh, not giving up hope yet. Yeah, it's getting right down to it, though, huh? It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. And, you, you know, it's one of those deals where it's like if I if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and I'll just – work my work work away and go hunt some antelope until uh you know i think i'm gonna leave uh august 30th to go to colorado so i've got i've got a lot on my plate so it's like if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen so that's the cool thing uh like uh living out west in some of these states like living in montana like getting that archery antelope tag every year uh that's like a uh, that was one of the best moves Montana made, or the Montana Bow Hunters Association pushed for it to get us that that season and that tag. And man, it's just so awesome knowing that you're going to get an antelope tag because most states, like that's you know, it could be a one in ten year deal. Oh yeah, well, and that's the thing. Most of those states, New Mexico, Arizona, yeah, it's like one in ten years. I mean, yeah, and for us, it's like, I mean cross our fingers and knock on some wood but it's like every year you know and it's so exciting i mean it's one of it's one of my favorite hunts i mean every year i look forward to it granted it's the beginning of hunting season but i love chasing those things with the bow Mm -hmm. they're they're just one of the the best teachers it's like dude it like if if you if you get really good at spot and stock at and really improve your skills like you can kill any animal in any season all of a sudden it doesn't matter how good you can call for elk or it doesn't matter 
you know, you don't have to sit water or sit in a blind. But, dude, when you build those spot and stock skills, like, you can just take it to any animal out west. And there's just – there's no better training for it than antelope season. Like, those things are so sharp. And then – like it's such open terrain, so you don't get that much to work with, but you you figure out how much you can do with with a little bit, like hunting those things. Totally, yeah. And that, uh, I mean, from the day I picked up my bow, I mean, the first thing I hunted was was an antelope with my bow, and it, you know, I mean, that was gosh, eleven, yeah, eleven years ago now. How many and it's times like, did you fail? Oh, dude, that first year, <laughs> that first year, that's the thing. And I, but I just kept after it, kept after it, kept after it. I think I went on third. Actually, I know for a fact I went on thirty-seven failed stocks that first year before I killed one. But it was, I mean, I didn't really. It, I never got. That's one thing I look back. I never really got frustrated because it was one of those deals. And back then, I mean, I went for them all. You know, it's like, and now I know better because not every antelope is in a spot where you can kill them. But back then. I mean, it was like, oh, good looking buck. I'm going like, where's the wind? Like, I'm just going to try and make it work. But now, you know, oh, I mean, year after year after year of hunting those antelope, it's like you start to see like when they're in a vulnerable spot, you know, when they're moving towards, um, you know, towards some some undulation, some roll, some country that you can get in and get on them. And now, I mean, the shoot the last, I don't know, I think I've killed nine, nine in a row, I think now. And it's like, now my stocks are like maybe maybe it takes me four or five you know the last few years i've gotten you know i say pretty lucky but it's like i kind of wait for the right opportunity because it's like i have some pretty hard and fast rules when i hunt them now on the stocks that i go on that and it makes them high percentage you know and especially when it's hot and it's you know that you know in august it's like you just can't go out and go on a walkabout you know it that I mean, I did that too in the beginning, and that never panned out well. You know, it's like you got you maybe you maybe saw a couple antelope three miles away, and if you would have just drove the county road and used your pickup as a tool, you could have got a heck of a lot closer to them. But it's like, yeah, the the you just learn how to stalk, um, how do you? I mean, the wind. I mean, that's just second nature now. But it's like you know how to get a crosswind, you know, and. Uh, yeah, those antelope, there is nothing better than getting to get out and get after those and just tune up, tune up the skills every year. And it's just like, and now it's just one of those things that I get so excited about because also on this side of the state, I mean, we've got a bunch of antelope, but we've also got a lot of good ones. So it's like, I usually always wait for one that really, really gets me going before I get out and, you know, lace them up and go get after them. Man, that's so killer. Uh, nine years in a row, you got a good streak going. Um, those things can be really difficult. So uh, you, you mentioned like a lot of good things there, like um, like covering country. It seems like antelope hunting is like these vast tracts of land. And so like you were stating, we use our pickups a ton, um, you know, cruising those miles and glassing off county roads. And then, you know, you'll walk to a vantage point or you may – uh, go look over into a canyon or something like that. But for the most part, you're really like glassing them and getting those opportunities like by using the pickup and covering like hundreds of square miles to then find where the antelope are and hunting that antelope. Do you run it the same way where you're covering a lot of miles, stopping and glassing a bunch, like trying to locate those things? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That I mean, that's I, I think to be 
your most effective to to be most effective hunting antelope i think that's kind of what you've got to do i mean in my opinion it's just you've got to cover enough country because you might see a hundred antelope but they all might be on a piece of block in stubble you know in in cut stubble field or in flat flat low lying sage you know then and those aren't antelope that are in a spot to stalk and you know in my opinion so it's like you've got to cover a ton of country and like you said grab a vantage point you know and the one thing I think it's always kind of funny because I hunt this place north of where I live and it gets it gets quite a bit of pressure, but a lot of guys really stick to the road. I mean, they almost use their vehicles too much. So it's like one of those deals where I have some spots where I know I can stop. And if I walk, you know, 300 yards, I can kind of crest a ridge, you know, creep up real slow. And there's always antelope down in this bottom, but no one else ever stops and walks up there and looks because it's like they just go to the next one. So, yeah, totally. I use I use my pickup and go. I mean, (laughs) tanks upon tanks of fuel. But it's like I think to find uh, to find a good antelope and to find an antelope that's in a good spot to stock, I think using the the pickup or the vehicle as a as a tool as a you know is so beneficial yeah man um so spot on like it's what i do like i've got a network of different spots that i like and then spots where i glass them from and like sometimes that may be you know pulling over to the side and using my binoculars and stepping out and, and covering the country and then sometimes like i'll get way back away from it where i can look at it with a scope and i may have to drive a long ways around before i ever make my stock but just just locating them is key and it's why antelope are so fun is you know you spend some time trying to locate them and putting on some miles but it seems like if you put in the work you'll earn yourself a stock and you know the good days you'll get five stocks you know but uh even the mediocre days it seems like you can always get a stock so you spend so much time hunting them you know instead of looking for them but yet it seems like that like that vehicle is key, uh, locating like public land tracks. And sometimes it's just like a, a narrow land bridge or a narrow bridge of state land that then unlocks a couple square miles. And then you glass over in those couple square miles and you could be looking, you know, a couple miles away, three miles away, and you see a big herd out there and you see a nice buck with them. And it's like, oh man, there's a bunch of ungulation out there. And I kind of find antelope like you, like I'm looking for high percentage like I won't, I'm not going to go chase one in the middle of the open, in the middle of a stubble field and try to crawl in. It just doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. antelope, yep. you have to be out of sight. And, and sometimes you're, you know, most of the time I'm hunting them on my feet using the ungulation. If I run out of ungulation, I'm not going to crawl for 500 yards. Like uh, I, I'm going to use the ungulation and I may crawl the last 10 yards to get up. But a lot of times, like your head still has to pop over the ridge line, whether you're crawling or whether you're, you're low walking and I guess it's whatever the situation calls for. Like sometimes it does crawl for does call for crawling the last little bit. Sometimes you can just duck your head over and kinda walk like that. And then sometimes you're like a we used to call it a duck walk in wrestling for your double yep. takedown. Yep. Sometimes you're duck walking, you know, or but you do whatever's necessary to like stay out of sight of them. But um a lot of times antelope, like I won't hunt them in the middle of a wide open, but you know, like you say, I'm looking for just something to work with, just something, and it doesn't have to be much. Even if I just have a little bit, it's like, okay, well, 
I'll go out there and then kind of adapt to the situation. He's kind of by a canyon or he's kind of moving towards this or I have a low here. Like I'm going to work it and see how close I can get. And sometimes you only end up 100 yards away or even 150 yards and you kind of stay put, wait for something to happen. You you never want to let them know you're there. But but it seems like you don't even know exactly everything you have until you get out there. Do you find that with them too? Yeah, yeah, totally. That is you literally just took the words out of my mouth. Those are basically my rules to the game when it comes to hunting antelope. I mean, you have to stay out of sight. I mean, they have, I want to I'm almost positive antelope's vision is like 270 degrees. So they can basically see behind them, you know, I mean, their eyes are on the side of their head and they can see everything. So if I can't walk to them, run to them or i like what you said i've always looked for the the terminology to describe that walk but the duck walk uh if you can't duck walk run or walk to them it's like it starts to turn into a lower percentage stock because i mean antelope if if anyone spent any amount of time out hunting them i mean you stick the button of your ball cap above the sage above a ridge i mean they're on you so it's totally about staying out of sight and i'm the same way it's like I love hunting them when they're on their feet. I've, I, I've, I think last year was the first one I've killed that was bedded. Um, but it was just the perfect scenario. And so it's like, I love hunting them when they're kind of in transition and moseying along. And like you said, I like to get out there and kind of get in with them because until you're really out there on the prairie, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot more crevice and there's a lot more roll and you don't need a ton um, but you have to get out there to see what you're working with. And uh, I kind of always like kind of, I don't know, always like kind of guessing where the direction they're heading and start to maybe cut them off a little bit. Um, but also, I mean, antelope have just a total mind of their own. I mean, they can be going heading dead west, and the next thing you know, it's like you lost them, and you look over your shoulder, and they're behind you. But, no, I, I hunt them the exact same way. Um I like to get out there, but I also, I mean, 100% stay out of sight, walk, run, or duck crawl, and see kind of how everything unfolds. That's that's huge, but definitely kind of get within range of them, you know, and like you said, kind of move out. Even if you're moving 100 yards at a time, just kind of cutting the distance, cutting the distance, because it only takes a split second for them to walk behind, you know, some big, some big, a big tall piece of sage or um, a few years ago, I killed one that was in some really tall clover and he was checking a scrape line. And if I wouldn't have moved out there with him, uh, I would have never had a chance, but there was just a window where he walked behind this dead clover, all vision obstructed. And I literally just kind of quickly crept up to him, shot him at 49 yards, you know? So it's like, you're that's spot on. Man, I love it when the, the instincts take over, like, um, you know, you're, you're just not, you're, you're not really, uh, making the, these decisions, you're just moving when you see the opportunity. And I love what you said too, about like running after him. Like there is a, a case in point, there is a time when you do have to run to try to cut him off down a draw or down, you know, when you're, when you're hidden and the buck's going to cross trying to get yourself into that spot. And I, I love that. Like that's the funnest for me. And you can't, you can't get stuck in only running or only hurrying. Like it's the situation has to call for it. And sometimes the situation, 
situation when they're bedded, you're moving so slow and so still and you're not you're not making any noise through the grass and it takes you forever to move a little bit or crawl a little bit or get into position. But there's a time and place for that buck that's crossing down below you where it's like if I cover 100 yards right now, I can cut them off and sit down and then let them come over the top of that 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 rise or whatever and come right to me like – I love those fast and furious plays too, but it, it just comes back to those instincts, just reacting. You know, you get out there and start playing the game and start reacting. And you, I make a ton of mistakes. Like, um, I'll make a ton of mistakes this year. Like, you know, like you said, lately I've done good with antelope where it's, you know, a couple stocks in, five plays in, you know, I'll get one killed. Uh, but I went last year and didn't kill one, you know, and so I, and I probably. I didn't make a ton of plays last year. I didn't give myself a lot of time, but probably 10 anyways. And I've had those things like where I've had to make 20 stocks before I kill one, 30 stocks like your first year. Um, you know, I, there's a couple years back where, you know, every once in a while these antelope will really humble me and it will be the most difficult animal I hunt in that season. And I'll put like I think I had a, like 20 days in like a handful of years ago before I finally killed one. Like they can be a real bugger. Uh, but you know, they're just so good at catching. You just make one mistake, you hurry. And then all of a sudden they expose themselves and see you, or you think you got to play and, and, and one comes over the rise. Like there's so many things that can go wrong, even when you're doing your job perfect, you know, but I, I think that's the fun of the game and the, the fun of hunting them is because they're so switched on. They're so challenging. So when it comes together, like it, it means something. And you've killed a couple giants too. You've killed a couple in that 80 inch mark. That's wild. dude. Yeah. 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 No, I've killed a few good ones and it, uh, but I had to, I kind of worked my way up to it. You know, I mean, I killed, I've killed some, you know, quite a few right around 74, 76, 77, but it was those, ex those early experiences, you know, the instinct, not only with tuning up stocking and everything, um, like you just said, the instincts, uh, it antelope really teach you that too, because, yeah, going from slow to fast to slow, you know, it totally, you just have to let the situation, the stock unfold and you have to truly let your instincts take over. But yeah, I mean, that, uh, that, the biggest one I've killed, I think it's 81 and six eights. And it was one of those deals I had killed three or four antelope and, uh, it, I was like, okay, I'm going to kill big one this year. And, and I was driving County roads before season and I finally found him. And he was on a piece of state land that uh, there's just no way I was going to kill him. And he just lived there. And so, I mean, every single day, I two weeks, two weeks went by and I just looked at him. And, I mean, there was no one around this place. It was way, way out. And finally, I caught him one day and he started to get a little ruddy and he started moving over into this other section. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I haven't even got to go look at that. And this was right before. I, I don't even think. No, I know for a fact. There was no such thing as onyx at this point. And so I didn't know what was over that hill. Well, I started tailing him, and it was one of those deals where all those situations, all those, I mean, at, to that point, hundreds of stocks uh, came into play. And it was like he put himself in a bad spot. I stalked him one time and got him killed. And it was like it was just one of those deals. It was so satisfying, you know, in it take killing an antelope of that size with the bow it was just all the experience up to that point of hunting antelope and it just was i'll never forget killed him right at sunset and uh, when i walked up to him 
it was just one of those surreal moments. It was like, hmm, I'm start, I'm kind of starting to figure it out. You know, it was just so cool. But yeah, I like, uh, I like chasing big ones. I mean, the, the big ones aren't really any harder to, to put an arrow through than the, you know, than the good ones or, or the smaller ones. It's just being patient and being diligent to go find a big one. And I mean, I always, like I said, the score doesn't matter a whole lot to me, but an 80 inch antelope, that'll turn a guy's crank pretty raining real quick. And you know, when you're looking at them, so it, uh, it's always kind of one of those things that like I've been driving roads here the last couple of weeks and it's like, I found, I've sent you the video of them. I found one good one, like one big, big one. And I'm going to dedicate a handful of days until I see another one that gets me going and puts himself in a bad spot. So no, super excited, but yeah, I love, I love chasing those big antelope. Yeah, dude, that, that one you sent me the video of is such a tanker, uh, almost cartoonish, dude. That one's such oh, a good one, but yeah, they, there's some really good ones out there for sure. Um, usually like I, I look for one that goes above 70 and if he's above 70, I'm playing ball, you know, but, uh, you know, that, that mid seventies, that 80 incher, the 80 incher has eluded me thus far. But, um, like you say, it's, it's more discipline than anything else of only hunting a buck that goes that big, you know? Uh, but they, they sure sharpen your skills. Like, um, after you can build those skills, like, like you said, killing those first three and, I think I went three years before I killed my first one with my bow, and I, and I wasn't as proficient of a bow hunter, you know, back in the day. Uh, but but then I went on a streak, you know, harvesting a bunch of really good ones and getting it done year after year. And you kind of figure out, um, you know, you, you you figure out what you're looking for and, and and when to move, and you just sharpen those instincts. And I noticed too. The first buck I stalk of the year, like I'm almost a little nervous and, you know, I got that buck fever a little bit, but it's like after you hunt them for a while and you're making plays with them and making moves, you get real comfortable with being in bow range of an animal you really want, you know, and I think that's key not only for antelope, but for other species throughout the year, you kind of get those first stock jitters out of your system, you know, and you get comfortable in bow range and then those little targets, they require some shooting. And like you said, killing some of those things at 70 yards. And I'm the same way. Like, man, you got to stretch it out west and especially on antelope in that open terrain. And so you got to practice at these longer distances and be ready. And I've, I've killed them at 30, which is great, but the open prairie doesn't always set up that way. You know, it's like sometimes, you know, you, you get a 70 yard shot and if you can make your shot and you've been practicing all year and, and sit on it and execute correctly, they die, you know? And so you you have to be confident in your shooting out there. And so it, it really sharpens all skills for the West. And so I just love it for like such a tune up for like these mule deer that are so susceptible in the, in the early season. Like you say, the, the velvet hunts that we were talking about, the the high country hunts, man. I mean, those things are um, th- those things. You're definitely not going to get as many plays or as many chances at them. And so, like getting those those jitters, getting comfortable in bow range, getting comfortable at shooting at critters, range finding, and then just sharpening those instincts. And I, you just you just have to learn from it, and you learn from the failures. And by the end of antelope season, unless you unless they've totally uh, uh, spun your mind and you can't keep anything straight, like most of the time you're getting better as you go, you know. And gosh, by the time you're making your third play or your fourth play, you're just so dialed with your instincts and moving and kind of taking what they'll give you, taking what the country and the ungulation and what the antelope will give you, but not pushing it too far where you 
you you know you give up your element of surprise or you you stalk them to failure and they blow out of there like you get over that pretty quick and you know I'll make a stupid mistake early in the season and go gosh I I should have known better than to do that or should have you know you can't cheat the wind on antelope either they'll wind you you yep. know and so a lot of times you're trying to look at the ungulation and you can move into bow range of that antelope but the wind isn't right and you try to convince yourself oh maybe it's quartering a little bit and you get out there and he wins you and you go god that was stupid you know but you get those out of the way in the, these high opportunity hunts and so like when you come into a high country mule deer hunt or elk season which we're coming into like you are dialed uh do you do you think it really helps sharpen your skills and get you ready for elk and deer yeah yeah and that's uh the biggest thing too the first stock of the year i mean it's just like anything in life that you know it's like that you get jazzed up for that you prepare for all year long that first stock yeah there's a there's some jitters you know but that's also i mean i go into every antelope season you know knowing that there's a high probability that i'm just gonna get humbled you know what i mean because there i mean antelope aren't a given like it you know like i said yeah the last few you know last three four whatever have taken four or five stocks but it's like i treat every stock on an antelope like it's going to be my best opportunity of the entire year to kill an antelope. Like I just don't take them. It's a high opportunity hunt, but I don't take them lightly because it's like That's smart. you start taking you start taking it lightly, and then it's like then the next time you're going to stalk a 170, 180 inch mule deer, you know if you're if you're making bad habits in the beginning, it's like who's who's to say they're not going to carry through if you get sloppy? You know what I mean? And uh, so it's like I take every antelope stock i try and be i literally try i mean like everybody does but i take it so like it's going to be my only stock of the year you know just like you know these high country mule deer hunts and you know these elk hunts that were going on it's like you know you might get one fleeting opportunity you might get one chance and it's so it's like i treat them all every antelope stock like it is that moment and yeah, totally sharpens the skills. And the other thing I was going to say that also not only for early season, you know, high country mule deer, but, you know, going into September rut for elk and then November rut for mule deer, uh, these antelope, you know, they rut, you know, middle to end of August into September. They rut super hard that first. I mean, they rut hard in September, but they start grouping up a little bit uh, towards the middle and end of August. So it's one of those things too that really keeps you sharp. Not only do you have to, you know, stock up on on a smart old antelope buck, but you've also got to fool the other dozen eyes that are out there as well. Um, you know, the does that are hang that he's got grouped up and that he's herding around and pushing. So it's also a good tune up for for that as well. You know, because you know September rolls around and a lot of the time these big bulls that we get chances at, you know, they've got 12, 15 cows and it's like. You gotta you gotta beat the cows too to get to the bull. So I, I find that super helpful as well. Oh man, that's um that's spot on. I love what you said about stalking those things, and I think it rings true for any animal that you get a stalk on. It's like taking it serious. No shortcuts. Don't like if you think you're making too much noise, you're making too much noise. If you think he'll see you, he'll see you. You know, it's like you you just gotta be perfect. You know, and if the, the minute, like you said it, the minute you start getting lazy or lackadaisical or uh, don't think that antelope, you know, that's the minute you get busted. And it's the same thing on deer and elk. So, yeah, you have to take every opportunity super serious. And 
it reminds me of Hawaii as well. You know, there's axis deer everywhere, and there's there's good bucks, and you're going to get multiple plays. But if you don't take it serious and do absolutely everything in in your power to get close to the to the axis deer you can see, you're going to blow them, and you're never going to get an opportunity. You're going to blow the next one too. You just get in this habit of being lazy or lackadaisical or not doing what's necessary, and so. Man, it's it's all means necessary, and and like I say, that's being quiet. It's moving slow. It's doing. It's taking the difficult way every time. It's like you yeah. never take a shortcut, you know. And um, yep, you, know, you just stated that really well, and I think that rings true for all animals. It's like beginning of the hunt. You first spot a muley, you're like, oh, I'll go make a play, and you make kind of this half haphazard play or you know you, you kind of get over there and just see if you can get close and then you blow them out and if you don't snap your head in the game and start making these stocks that really count where you do every footfall matters every movement matters like that's how you got to look at it if you want to be successful it doesn't matter how many opportunities you get if you always go into it with that attitude you're just never going to kill anything so I, I just thought that was so key what you were stating there like about your stocks and how you approach them I, I think that mental game is so important and and the game kind of changes right and so like um, antelope you know, some of it's like planned methodical stocks, but I would say muleys are really the slow methodical stocks, and then elk are even more so adapt to the situation you're given. Just get over there and then see what you got that you're working with and react. Um, so, like, these different animals kind of have different tendencies or different – like, all – all the hard rules still apply, like like all of those skills transpose into the next species, but you kind of got to get in the mindset for hunting the species that you're on. Wouldn't you say that's true? Like for antelope and mule deer and elk, they just kind of differ your approach a little bit. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, and like say these antelope, you know, it can be, um, you know, get on them on their, when they're on their feet, you know, transition. Or you can, you know, if you're lucky, find them in a bed. But then you go to like, uh, you know, these high country mule deer, you know, early in the season, early mule deer, you know, it's more, you know, find them, bed them, you know, first, second bed, you know, then go make your play. Um, you know, and then we get into to those, to, to September and, you know, middle of September and those elk. And like you said, you almost just have to get yourself into into the party, you know, with those elk. And it's like, and then everything kind of unfolds. I mean, that bull last year, it's like, I just, just had to get in there with them, you know, and kind of see how it worked out. Um, you know, and then, and then, uh, you know, late season mule deer, I feel like, um, differs even a little bit from early mule deer, you know, instead of more so in their bed. I mean, like say that, that hunt you and I went on, um, late November last year, uh, it was more like you and I were kind of getting in on them, getting in on their when they're on their feet uh, in transition, you know, my, moving around, just kind of making plays that way. So, yeah, I mean, it all I mean, they all have similarities. And there's all like you said, there's kind of those hard and fast rules. And but, yeah, I mean, as far as the stock and what you're looking for um, from species to species, you know, and kind of progressing throughout the season. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, there's 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 definitely differences. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There's um you know, antelope, I stock quite a few in their bed or at least I'll move in or make an approach or get closer and a lot of times they get on their feet before I get there and you then you're just reacting to whatever they're doing, whether they're feeding there, if they're moving or whatever the case. And you brought up a good point too, a hunt in that rut. 
uh, that rut, it's it's just like chaos. It's just like fun. Same, like I, I just love the rut for any of these animals. You know, it's, it's just unreal to take part in that in, in that breeding season. And and you know, the, the bucks are still tough to kill. Whatever species, bucks, bulls, you know, they can be really tough to kill. Uh, but they're just moving around, and they're you know they're they're taking control of these herds, and that. Like you get a lot of chances during the rut. Those big bucks, they start to get their group of does, but then he's chasing off smaller bucks, and you know they're always kind of moving. And you, you just there's a ton of opportunity to kind of get in there and then make something happen. And so, um, you know, mule deer yeah. that early season, that's like one of the the only times you're really looking for them to bet. It seems like, and and this is just like the tactics that I've kind of. Um, adopted like through hunting them is I just know that I, you know, the the winds are always huge, right? And so antelope, you don't have to worry about mountain winds as much. They're kind of live on the prairie. And so you can kind of take the dominant wind direction. Sometimes you're hunting them in canyons and coulees where you have a little bit of, of thermal winds, but for the most part, it's pretty steady. And then you come into mule deer season and those winds will do everything on the mountain, you know, the, the directionals and the thermals. And so you're trying to dial in these winds and it just seems like, you know, when they're up and on their feet, like in, in the morning time, it, it's just not high percentage in these open basins. You know, they, they just, they almost have the advantage of the landscape there. And then they also have the advantage of the wind, you know, those thermals are starting about mid morning, you know, you have... Like I feel like you've got this window while the mountain is shaded. You got about the first 45 minutes where you got a consistent thermal wind that'll come downhill or down the mountain. And I, I really use that that wind for elk. You know, whether it's first light or whether it's last light, I really use those downhill thermals. But it seems like on mule deer, you know, it, it it's just too fickle when it starts to change an hour into the stock and they're hunted so slow and methodically that, that you're not really making that quick play where you can make it happen in that hour and so yeah like you said you're you're watching them and waiting for them to bed and then waiting for them you know their first bed sometimes they bed in a good spot but usually it's in the open and you know they're going to move again and so the reason i don't stock them there is like you know if you make a play by the time you get around and get close to him, he's probably going to move anyways, and that's like the worst winds of the day. Like those thermals are changing, and so it's really switching all over, and you don't have the directionals aren't up yet. And so that afternoon bed is like the way we play the game. In the afternoon bed, you know he's going to be there for a bit. And you also know those thermals start to get steady. You know, if it's a sunshine, hot day, which is what I'm looking for for muley hunting. I want it sunshine, hot. And then I got those thermals riding uphill, you know, so I know I got this steady uphill wind, you know, and the also the directionals come up. So it really hides your footfalls and your sounds of you moving in on those mule deer. So it, it just seems to be a real high percentage like play on those mule deer. So you're really looking for them to bed. But that's probably a lot different than the other bow hunting we do, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Because then it's like, you know the methodical aspect of early season mule deer, I mean, I think is probably the most different than a lot of the other stocks that we're doing, uh, you know, on all these other hunts, elk, late season mule deer, these antelope, you know, kind of playing them when they're, when they're rutting and all that. But the one thing that, uh, I really like what you're saying. And the one thing that I love, number one, you can't, I mean, you can't cheat the wind and out here on the prairie and, you know, on these elk hunts and that, 
I really, really love hunting on a on not a I mean not a windy windy day, but a good fifteen yeah fifteen mile an hour wind. I mean even maybe twenty ish, but just because of everything's moving and like grass is moving, sage is moving, trees are moving, you know. So it's like it kind of covers a little bit of your movement. Not only does it cover your movement, it covers a lot of your sound, you know. So you know, on a year like this year when it's super dry. Um, it knocks down a lot of your sound, you know? Um, so, I mean, yeah, the, the methodical side of it in the, um, you know, early season for these mule deer, um, like you said, the, the thermals, the directionals, and it's a slower play. But then on the other side, when it's more run and gun with these antelope and these elk, um, I love, I mean, granted it's flat, not a lot of thermals out here where we're doing our thing, but, um, yeah, I love a good, strong directional wind that you can, I mean, pretty much trust cross, you can get a good crosswind on them. Cause a lot of these animals out here in the prairie and, uh, they, they won't, I mean, they have, they have about two things on their mind, uh, live and breed, you know what I mean? So they're not going to bed with their nose directly in the wind. You know, so it's like you have to get a crosswind on them. So a good, strong directional wind, I think, is huge, um, a, a wind that you can trust. And a lot of a lot of these antelope sailors, I mean, just going back to antelope, a lot of the antelope um, that I do kill, it, it's with a like a crosswind, you know, I mean, a left to right. He's kind of quartered into it. So, I mean, he can smell everything on his backside and it's like total crosswind. Um, but, yeah, no, I can't cheat the wind but i love a good strong directional wind i mean it's huge and and uh the other thing too is like you were saying about the uh the thermals and that um you kind of got i mean what i like say last year in nevada it's like you kind of have to play play them both you know have two cards in in your hand at the same time you got to be playing the directional and the thermal um you know just in case one or the other gives, you know, uh, if you get a cool down or a storm comes in, um, you know, your thermals are going to drop. So it's like, if you have a little directional on one of those steep side Hills, you know, kind of playing that as well. So just so much to go into it, but you just can't cheat the wind. No, you can't. No, but I, I do like that crosswind you're talking about a left to right. As long as it's not blowing in their direction, you can get away with, about anything with that left to right wind or right to left wind, you know, that sideways wind. So no, it's good to know to use that. And then like when I'm looking for my shot, it you know, on all of these critters really, but you know, on, on mule deer, like I'm really waiting for them to make the last move. Like very rarely do I shoot one in his bed. And, you know, we're talking about these rules per species, but you know, there are no rules as well. Like these, these are just the situations that we've found that work for us, but you know, creative thinking is rewarded. So like if you see a muley in a spot and he's up feeding and you got a good win and a ridge in between you, there's nothing that says that you can't roll over there and shoot that buck. And and same thing with antelope, you know, you killed that one in his bed. I've killed a handful in their beds or at least sneaking up and getting in range of their beds and then they stand up and I shoot them, you know, or they stand up and walk out. And, and same thing with elk, like you know, I tend to hunt elk in their feeding features, which is way different than mule deer. Like, I'm looking for the total <clears throat> opposite thing that I'm looking for when I'm hunting early season mule deer. Elk, I want on their feet. I, I want them uh, usually feeding and not moving. When they're moving, they're so tough to cut off, but sometimes that works too. But, you know, the reason I don't hunt them in their beds, it's like 
you get 20, 30 elk, like when they're rutting and they have a group of cows that all bed and they seem to bed in thick cover. And they just have the advantage on you in that thick cover. Like to try to go still hunt through that stuff, it just seems like nine times out of ten they catch me. You know, and so like mm-hmm. I've learned my lesson over the years, like, hey, this isn't working. You know, I'm going to sit here. I know they're bedded in that timber, uh, but I'm going to wait for them to come out tonight. And I love killing elk in the evening because you get that steady downhill thermal. Like the hillside starts to get shaded and you start to get a real consistent wind you can work with, you know, and, and they start to show themselves. And you can, when you can see an animal, you can see its mannerisms. You can see their mood, their behavior. You can see if they're alert or if they're not. And if if you can see them, they can see you. If you can't see them, they can't see you. And so, you know, you can really use these rules to kind of get in close and then, um, you know, try to make something happen there. But it, you know, also, like I say, creative thinking is rewarded. And, you know, I have killed a bull in his bed. Like my rule is, is if I can see all the elk and I can see them in their bed, then I can kind of make this methodical planned out approach like I would a mule deer and sneak up on that elk in that spot. Uh, so I want to know his exact location if I'm going to stalk him in his bed. But if I don't know his exact location, like I'm probably going to bust him in there. And so I just want to sit back. And it seems like half the battle of hunting elk is locating and being in elk. I mean, for all species, it's just being into him, being on him. So when I find a good bull I want to shoot, like I really want to keep that element of surprise. And so, you know, I'll shadow him in the morning. I'll maybe look for a chance to cut him off or when they get to their – you know, when they're looking to bed, they'll kind of feed around like that's a good opportunity. But if that bull gets in the timber on me, like I, I don't want to go chase him in that thick trees after he beds down. Like instead, I'll just sit back and I'll give it all day. But I've got an mm-hmm. elk located for the evening. And so like I, I've got the toughest task done. I'm on a bull I want to shoot. I just got to play this evening and see what I get this evening. Is that how kind of do you do you look at your approaches that way like um for for elk specifically are you have you ever shot one in its bed or do you stalk them in their beds or do you run the same exact program that I'm running I run the exact same program I've shot one in its bed my very first bull I shot in his bed at 35 yards but it was just one of those situations where it was like it was perfect like I looked down there he was 200 and some yards away and it was like oh man like I mean he was a satellite bull so it was like nothing around but yeah I run it I run the same program. I mean, like, I literally walked away from a 360-inch bull this year at 9 o'clock in the morning because he went into some timber draws with with 15 cows. And it's like, I was like, I'm just not going to make that play. And so I walked away because it's like, that just turns into low percentage. And it's like, if I don't, I, I don't even... I like, like you said, I like hunting them when they're on their feet in the evening. Like, that's my... That is my absolute favorite. I mean, I've I've been on elk, like you said, half the battle is finding them. So it's like I I try and shadow them, shadow them, shadow them. So it's like that bull this year that I killed, he went into the timber, and it was like I'm just not gonna go in there. Like I walked away, but it was like I went I went back, took a nap, hung out all day, and it's like I knew where he was gonna be come evening. And sure enough, you know, you go go in there. They start feeding out. They they feed out in the bottoms, and and then boom, there's the play to be made, and and then then you kill them. And it's I love like we were saying, you always you know want to be have an approach that's out of sight and everything. But it's like you also I love being able to keep tabs on them. 
you know, whether it's just barely peeking around something or barely cresting a ridge, you know, super, I mean, super slow, super easy, but I love being able to keep tabs on them. And that's why I don't like hunting them when they go into thicker timber or thicker brush. Um, so yeah, no, I run the, I mean, I run the same program as you do. And I mean, it's hunt them in the evening time when they're on their feet in their feeding feature, transitioning to it. It's just in, in, for me, it's my best chance to, to get on them and kill them. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. You describe it so well. You've killed some stomper bulls. Like I think it's, you know, here we are talking elk hunting and uh, guys by now know the podcast and know that we get together and don't talk about calling, you know, it, it just mm-hmm. seems like this, you know, stalking these bulls and it's something that you develop. It's a skill set. It's, you know, you, you can't just decide you're going to spot and stalk bulls and, and go out and kill the biggest one in the bunch. I mean, you might, you know, if you really dedicate to it, but it's all this experience of hunting these antelope and these mule deer and these elk and making these mistakes and building that that stalking skill set and then once you've built this stalking skill set you can go in year after year and, and be successful on these elk and not only elk but like you've killed some slammer bulls so you know i've killed some slammer bulls like we're mm-hmm. able to target the herd bulls you know and and not that that means if you're shooting satellites like we get chances at satellites too you know they like stalking in on a herd and there's satellites around is money those satellites are always moving around the herd you know and always giving shots and you know back in my younger years you know i i I killed a lot of elk that way you know a lot of satellite bulls but it's like if you can build this skill set you can go into every season expecting to be successful and and you can target the biggest bulls out there you know to where calling you you know calling kills more elk than than stalking i think you know like uh, there's more elk killed by calls than anything else like it's effective but you got to catch that bull in the right mood And, and to try to catch that herd bull in the right mood he may be in that mood once a season twice a season where he's in that mood where he'll call in or you made the right moves to get close enough to the herd to uh, to really piss them off and get them to come in. But it doesn't happen all the time. A lot of times you call it these big bulls and they just go the other way. They take their cows and move away, you know, and like you build this stocking skill and all of a sudden you can target those bulls for the entire bow season. You know, you can target those bulls any given day you find them, not just the day that they're totally pissed off or, you know, right to be called in. And so, man, it's just been highly effective for me, and I know it's been highly effective for you. And it's wild as we compare notes that we hunt them the same way, and we hunt together. And um, but but you know, we haven't we haven't been doing it the last ten years together, and we we haven't hunted elk together that much. So it's just wild to hear that you use those exact same tactics that I do, you know, developed on your own, you know, and and mine were developed on my own of, of just what works for us. But yeah, it's pretty crazy, and I yep. think it works in like all different places too. These, these, um, you know, a lot of these mountain ranges, even, you know, we like to look for more open terrain to hunt them, but you know, most elk mountain ranges, like they need meadow grass to live. They need openings to live. And so, you know, it's just glassing those openings and seeing them in their bedding, in their feeding features, you know, morning and night, figuring out their program and making a play, but it never seems like you see elk. 300 yards down below you why is it that you always see elk four miles across the draw like it it's always a mission to get on those things isn't it yeah no it totally is and that uh that is just the absolute truth this this range that i'm been looking at that i'm going to go into this year here in montana that's i went and bear hunted it 
And that was the one thing when I was in there that I was, I was just taking kind of notes. Cause I mean, yeah, I was bear hunting, but I was also kind of looking for some new elk spots and, you know, knowing that, Hey, they're probably, you know, going to be moving around a little bit. This isn't going to be their necessarily their home in September, but if it is, where, where, where is the, in, in this range, what is conducive for me to go spot and stock one and kill one? Cause I mean, it's all timber, you know? And it's like, then I start looking at them and, and I start looking at these features, you know, sun's starting to set a little bit and I should have been looking for more bears, but I was looking for elk half the time too. And it's like, I look across and I go, gosh, if there was an elk on that thing, I could probably go over there and kill one, but it was three miles away. And there were, oh, well, there were eight bulls in that spot. There were 47 different bulls in the whole deal, but it was like what was cool is I was looking for those spots that would work for my skill set for spotting and stalking and meadow grass, you know, big sage uh, uh, side hills, you know, that are that have meadow grass in them as well. And it's like every time I looked at it, it was like, oh, there's an elk, you know, there's an elk. But, yeah, you're right. It's like a lot of the time you'll be sitting over one and it's 400 yards below you or there's something to your right. And then you look way across the drainage and it's like, Oh, there they are. But those are also the times when, I mean, it, it, elk, I mean, I just got done saying with antelope that I wait for like these, these stock, but it's like with those elk, I go for it. Like I a hundred percent go for it. If, if I see a bull two miles away and there's an hour left, it's like, and he's in a spot that I can go get him. I'm going like, I, full send, full steam ahead. I'm going. Yeah, you got to be all in on those things, you know. And it's it's all in on on all these species, you know. We started by talking about antelope and the rigs, but dude, I have been so exhausted hunting antelope out on the hot prairies where you see them miles off, you know. And yeah, you may spot them from a pickup or use county roads, but once you see them, you're all in. You're going for them. And same thing with these elk. Like locating them is half the battle, and so. You know, a lot of times you just got to get into elk country, you know, and we do a lot of listening, you know, in the dark before, you know, light to, to see if we can hear him. If you can hear him, you got some located, you know, if you can hear a party, you got some located and elk like being around other elk. And so, you know, a lot of times when you find a group of cows or you find a, a, a bull with some cows, you get over there and then pretty soon there's another bull with some cows and oh my gosh, there's one down there. Like they just like to be around other elk, but you have to have that all-in attitude. Like you, you see things so far away, and it's it's like whether I'm going or not isn't even a question. And like you said, like you're no. looking for antelope in a good spot, but you're just looking for them like not in a bad spot. You know, you're just looking for something <laughs> yeah. to work with. You know, and yep. with those elk, I don't even look for that. If I see an elk and a bull I want to kill, I have to go over there. I've got to go play the winds, and I, I I'm careful not to like. I hate getting over there and blowing them out. I hate busting elk. I hate spooking anything I'm hunting. But you got to go over there and let that situation develop because, like, even if you see a bull in the best spot, by the time you make it to him, he's moved, and they're always so far away. It's just like, okay, there's elk over on that feature. I'm going to start heading there, and when I get there, I'll, 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 play my, I'll let those instincts take over. I've got to see them before they see me. I've got to be on my game. I've got to slow down my pace once I get there. Uh, and I know not to go in the deep, dark cover for them because I don't want to spook them, but you just get over there and start playing the game, start adapting to the situation you're given, you know, moving when they let you, taking what they'll give you, taking what the country will give you. And, and a lot of times it doesn't work. Like we play on elk, 
you know, I'll I'll play on multiple herds before I finally kill the bull I want. Like you're playing, and sometimes they just don't give you enough to work with, or you know, uh, sometimes you're you're expecting them to be right over the ridge in front of you, and and you're you, you're not disciplined enough to look left and right, and all of a sudden you've exposed yourself to the elk and they're down right, or you get over there and the winds you thought were happening it goes wrong, you know, or or a lot of times like I just I'll just play the game and just never got a chance to go all in, like moved with them, you know, they didn't give me a chance, I'll, I'll be back this evening, okay, evening didn't get a chance, I'll be back in the morning or whatever, you know, you just kind of adapt to what they'll give you. It seems like on on those elk, which makes them really fun. Oh yeah, and the one thing you know when we're talking like while we're talking about full send, I think one thing that's super important that I've learned, you know, from antelope, elk, everything, when it's just like it's go time and it's like you got to bust ass to get over there and get in them. The one thing that I have learned is when you do get to the spot, you've almost got to take a split second to like bring yourself back to ground zero, like check yourself real quick and then be like, okay, now it's time to move slow because I don't know how many bulls or how many antelope that I've ran or quickly. No, I've ran a mile, mile and a half to get over to him to cut him off. And then in the last 10, you know, last 10 seconds, last 10 yards, everything, I just don't gather myself and slow down. Uh, and then you you blow the whole thing. And if and if I would have just taken the time real quick, just kind of like a shot process. But you know, even before that, just okay. Hey, slow down. They're right here. Trust that they're going to be right here. Move slow, and 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 finish the deal. You know. And uh, that's one thing I guess that I guess I could if I could just say it's just when you get there, slow down. And that's something that I've learned that's helped me a lot because. And I've seen buddies too, you know, get there and it's like, okay, just take your time, take your time, slow down. They're, they're still there, but it's like, don't watch your footfalls. You're going a little too quick. You, you expose yourself on top of a, uh, on top of the skyline or on top of a ridge. And it's like the game's over. You just worked, worked your butt off to get there. And in, instead of sealing the deal and slowing down, it's just like a couple bad moves real quick and the game's over. Dude, so true. Like that last 10 yards or sometimes last 50 yards or whatever it is. Yep. Why is your mind always screaming at you to hurry up and get there? Hurry up and get a shot. <laughs> you just start getting this this dose of adrenaline, you know, where you just kind of like stop thinking clearly, you know, and you're mm-hmm. right. It's like really getting a hold of yourself. And you said something too is hunt him like he's still there. I don't know why your mind always says they're gone, you know, maybe because they're gone a lot of the times when you do poke up, but your mind's like, your mind will start playing tricks with you and just go, oh, they're gone. Just, just walk over this ledge and see if they're there. And you'll walk over like half-assed and all of a sudden you'll bust the whole thing over, you know, the, (laughs) every animal out of there, you know, it's like, um, I don't know why your mind plays tricks on you or you get that a dose of adrenaline and you stop thinking clearly. So what you said is super important. I think you start getting close and you take a couple deep breaths and go, hey, man, this is your opportunity. This is what you've worked hard for. You know, make the right moves. Don't hurry over that rock. Hunt him like he's still there. If he's not there, like what I started telling myself is if he's not there when I get there, at least I'm not going to screw it up, you know? 
Like, yep. I'm not going to be the reason I don't kill this buck. If he moved off, like, uh, good on him, you know, but I'm going to take my time and sneak up to that spot whether he's there or not, you know. You you have to hunt them like they're there, and you have to get a hold of yourself. Don't be in that fog of adrenaline. Like, it's exciting, and that's the reason why we do this. But, yeah, you mess up a lot of opportunities being too excited and not paying attention to the details. And just, like, coming over that ridge, I don't know how many times I've made this mistake where you always have to expose yourself over a ridge or over a hump or over a roll to the animals, you know, most of the time. Because moving in the open, they just see you. Unless you can put a tree in between you and them or, you know, something like that, you're always coming over a rise or over a hill or uh, over the side of a canyon, you're always exposing yourself, and it really is, you know, going so slow. And take a step, and, and then look around, look at what exposed to you. Look left, look right, you know, and then take a step, look left, look right. Like really be disciplined. Pull up your binos. Like this is the make or break. This is like it, you know. And you have to see them first, or the gig is up, you know. And so, yep. like you got to play the game like that. Every ridge line you come over. Every time they might be there, you have to believe they're there and really expose it slowly and look left, right. Like I don't know how many times I've been focused on the spot where they were and I start walking over and I'm looking to my left and my right but not far enough, you know, and I'm really fixated like on this spot where I think they are. And I walk over and I mess the whole thing up because some animal was to my right that I didn't see, that I didn't look at, or they had the the herd had moved a little bit. And now they're in the trees, and I I just wasn't disciplined enough to be looking around with my binos and find them. And so, man, you learn through failure, and so you you make that mistake enough times, and then hopefully you get better. Where you you just really expose things slow and really take your time. I mean, I think that's key. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, that's that's so huge. And and the 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 look left, look right thing. It's along the lines of kind of one deal that I always tell myself now, you know, the past few years, it's like. I don't peak like everything inside of you when you get to that spot or you get to that ridge line instead of taking it slow, you know, looking left, looking right, glass and glass in the tops of the grass right in front of you to see if you can see tips that are down below. You know what I mean? That's one thing uh, that a buddy told me a long, long time ago. He goes, dude, grass or glass the top of the grass right in front of you because you can see at the back of something down below you or you can see a, you know, a tip of an antler or a tip of an antelope horn or, you know, and it's, it's amazing if you just take the time and be disciplined enough to bring up your glass, look at that, you know, and then take your glass down, look left, look right, instead of just, peaking you know and that by peaking i mean like exposing yourself because it's like everything in you just wants to know right now are they still down there but if you just hunt it like they are and like you said go so slow you know and and creep and look left look right glass it's like those opportunities instead of watching white butts run away from you it ends with a with a red arrow you know and and that's I mean, it's just the little things. That's what I like what you said, the discipline. That's the one thing that all summer, that's what I think about. Even when I'm shooting my bow, is just discipline. Everything you do, discipline. If you just, your whole life, if you just think discipline, it will translate into the woods too. And you will stay diligent enough to just stick to the program. Man, that's exactly right. Yep. Don't peak. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. you, and, and everything in you is screaming to peak, you know. Just get over there, and then you can sit down and glass. And 
you know, that goes for even when I'm walking over a new drainage or a new basin, like hunting muleys, you know, to, to go locate muleys. It's just that, that discipline and not skylining myself, crawling over the top of that ridge line or uh, uh, walking, but every step I'm glassing like the grass, like you were saying, or down below in the drainage, making sure there's nothing there, but never standing up straight on that skyline, always getting down like a skyline human really sticks out. And, um, you know, just just doing that the whole season, and it just like it, it equates into more opportunities, more chances. Like you're saying, you don't you don't spook them or blow them up as much. So, um, dude, it's, it's a fun game, isn't it? Out west, like uh, antelope, mule deer, elk. Here we come. You know, antelope, mule deer, elk, mule deer. It's <laughs> pretty much our season, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. dude, it's pretty fun. It's right upon us. Can't wait. Yeah. It is game time, man, and I am so, so juiced. Yep. Well, a handful more days. Um, you're getting your work done and setting up for some good antelope hunting, huh? And, and uh, who knows? Maybe you'll maybe you'll be able well, you do have an early season mule deer tag. Um, it's just a little bit further down the road. Yep, yep, got one. And who knows, here in the next uh, two, three days, I might be bahan down for an earlier one. So I'm going to keep checking that darn first-come, first-serve list. Yeah, well, and you got um, uh, that one mule deer tag you have, man. That's extreme country, like extreme high country. And then, um, yeah, it's a it's an early season hunt. Just takes place in September, but man, that's a super cool place. You got to be jacked to go hunt that extreme country. Oh, I am. Yeah, no, and I put in the amount of work that I put in this summer preparing for it. I mean, I get after it every summer, but this summer. I've taken it to a whole nother level because it's it's one of those deals where it's more extreme than anything I've I've done and I just I know that it's gonna be bigger than I can even probably imagine. So it's like I'm just I, I wanna be able to take it to the mountain and know that hey, I've done the work and so no matter what, I'm gonna get to where I need to get. If I need to move spots, I'm gonna move spots and I'm not leaving until I'm packing one out. And it's just I am I'm 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 really excited for the unknown of it. I mean, I've spent so much time on maps and everything. I'm I'm excited for the unknown and I'm excited for the challenge and it's like I know deer are there, so it's like it's just a matter of, of of turning them up. So, no, I can't wait and yeah, that's only a short 3 weeks away too, so I'm I'm super jacked. Dude, it's like um, what you talk about, like talking about your approach and moving camp and readying yourself and putting in the work this summer. Like, man, this whole deal like just starts and ends with the mind, doesn't it? I mean, this whole podcast has been about spotting and stalking and the tactics and, you know, the mindset that goes into that. But but really, success lies the between the ears. Like, it's like you just yep. decide it's something you want and you decide that, you know, you're going to put in the work and you decide that, okay, on this hunt, I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm going to uh, – I know I'm going to uh, have adversity uh, that I'm going to have to to get past. I know that I'm going to have um, uh, tough weather that I'm going to have to sit out and that may be rainstorms and snowstorms and lightning, but – Man, it all ends with the starts and ends with the mind. Like, wouldn't you say like a you're you're one asset and like you're you're an absolute athlete. You're really good with your bow, but like if you had to pick one asset that made you successful, like it's it's persistence. It's in the mind. It's yep. like it you know sure it's patience and sure it's building these skill sets and sure it's but it's like deciding that's what you want and that's what you love in life and then like embracing it and going all in like like what yep. would what would you attribute your success to 
it it is it's 100% it's 100% between my ears and 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 in anything that I've ever done it's one of those things and I think for most I think a lot of people would say the same it's you have to know what you want and you have to know how to go get it and if you don't know how to go get it just work and just work and just work and just work and harden your mind I mean by no means am I a triathlon athlete or anything like that but it's like I'll work a 10 hour day and then I'll come home and go run in a sweatshirt on the asphalt on highway 87 for five, six, seven, eight miles, 95 degree temp with a sweatshirt on just because I know it's going to suck. And I know, but you know what, if I do cruddy things now and just keep going, keep going, keep going, it just calluses your mind. And the one thing that all of us guys who bow hunt know and like you always say, failure is a prerequisite to success. And it's like, it is, but it's how you deal with it. And it's like, if you riding out storms, you know, I mean, how many times, I mean, you and I ride out thunderstorms on the river, instead of pushing out, we ride them out because it's like, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're, it's, we're not 10 miles back in the backcountry, whatever, but it's like, you know what? It's a mental thing. It's like, Oh yeah. Remember in July when, when we just rode that one out on the river and that big crack boom, you know, it's like, it's all between the ears. And that's what I would attribute. I mean, a lot of my, I mean, most all of it too. It's like, I just, I really know what I want. I know where I want to be. And I want to know, I know the goals. I set goals for myself. And it's like, I know every single day I've just got to put in the work because it's like, I'm not Levi Morgan with the bow. I'm not Cam Haynes with my tennis shoes. You know, it's like, but to get there, it's like, I know what I've got to do. And I just got to do it every single day. Oh, man. So true. All right. You got me fired up for season. I'm ready to go hunt like a few days left and cut these legs <laughs> loose. Yeah, man. Uh, that's good stuff. That's exactly right. Uh, it's just so fun, this endeavor that we found that, you know, we truly love to do and then embrace and willing to put in all this work towards it. You know, it's so fun to have that in life. Like we're definitely, you know, a couple of the lucky ones for sure. So, man, well, I really appreciate you. Uh, I can't think of a better guest to have on to talk spot and stocking than than you. So, dude, that was awesome. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, good luck here next week. And I, I can't uh, can't wait to hear about it. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch. We got some hunts coming up too, so yeah, we'll um, uh, we'll be all in here before we know it. So yeah, thanks again, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, later, Brian. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Oh man, I told you that was a great podcast. Uh, really appreciate Dylan for all his time. Like I say, I use him on Flycast all the time. Have him on this podcast quite a bit, and I. I like bringing in new guests, and I also like these reoccurring guests, these guests that I've had great conversations with that that, that add so much value to the podcast and um, to, to what we're trying to promote here in Next Level Western Hunting. So I just really appreciate Dylan. He He's always um, he, he he's always available or makes himself available to be on the podcast and take the time out of his busy schedule. So I just really appreciate him. And uh, just want to thank my sponsors as well. I really appreciate them as they help pay for all this time that goes into the podcast. So thanks to uh, Zamberlin Boots and uh, Matthews Bows. And I truly believe in these companies. I use all their gear, and um, it, it is the best gear that I've, that I've ever used. And so uh, just uh, uh, if you get a chance or if you're in the market for any of this gear, any of the sponsors of the podcast, just check it out. I'm not saying you have to buy it, but check it out and compare it to the other stuff out on the market. And uh, I guarantee that that 
you'll be impressed with it and uh, probably end up with it in your pack or uh, in your hands or on your feet like Zamberlin. So uh, thanks to those guys. All right. Thanks to Eastman's. Um, man, I've got this hunt coming up. Uh, I, I couldn't be more pumped. You know, there's always so many things to get done with work and responsibilities and uh, family and make sure that everything's taken care of. But I'm just about there. Like, we'll get out this podcast. We'll get out a fly cast. Um, man, I mean, uh, got to got to clean out the truck, switch my blinkers. <laughs> the goddamn blinkers in these Toyotas are always going out, but I think I've got it fixed some Toyota bulbs and I think I'll be all right. <laughs> but uh yeah, I got to do that and uh pretty much just throw my stuff in my pack. I got everything sitting there. And man, I'm bow hunting. Uh going to try to get in there a day early. Uh going to try to capture the whole thing and um see what I can do and uh you know, I don't know, you know, Maybe a week, maybe 10 days, kind of whatever it takes. I, I think I do have a, a hard cut off at about 10 days or so, and uh, I'll be totally out of rations at that point. But, man, I'm all in. It's high country mule deer, one of my favorite mountain ranges. Let's go. I mean, it's time. So um, I'm pumped. Uh, the backcountry test, here it comes. This is what all the work's been for, the entire year's been for, and what I've been leading up to. So, um, man, I can't wait. All right, I'm going to get out this podcast. I'm going to get my work done and get on the road and uh, two more days and I'll be bow hunting. God, it just doesn't get any better than that. Uh, thank you guys for the support. I appreciate you and uh, we'll check in with you next week.